Hello, everybody. My name is Sarah, and welcome to the first episode of my podcast. Um, This first episode in particular is going to be talking about how I have grown as a feminist over time and why for the longest time the F word or feminism was so scary for me. As I've grown as a feminist the past few years, I've started to see myself as an inexperienced feminist with good intentions. And this word inexperienced comes from my lack of quote unquote, glorious dynam feminist experiences. And what I mean by glorious dynam experiences is how much noise am I making and where am I choosing to make that noise? Am I starting difficult conversations at the dinner table, uh, at HWS, with my friends, etc.? The amount of noise I used to make, say, when I was a senior in high school versus now, are so, so different, and I think that's very telling of the feminist that I consider myself to be today, and I think something that I never really understood until recently was how crucial of a role noise plays in feminism directly. Like what I was saying about those glorious dynamic experiences, it's the amount of attention you're grabbing from not only your peers, but the people you don't know, and how you're grabbing people's attention and showing them, hey, I'm talking about something really important that you need to listen to. Today in 2020, we don't have a set defined group of women that are outwardly breaking societal barriers that we can look to as inspiration like we did back in the 70s. Jessica Crispin in her book, Why I'm Not a Feminist, touches upon this when proving her point as to why she does not call herself a feminist anymore. And one of these reasons is because everybody nowadays can just say, oh yeah, I'm a feminist and slap that label on themselves, when in reality they're not doing any of the work that's necessary to becoming a full-fledged feminist. For example, they're not having difficult conversations with their friends or their family members, and they're not educating themselves further on what feminism really means to them or to the world, and they're not valuing you know women's rights or anything like that and they're just using the label as a way for people to perceive them as something that they may not really be i think perception is a super important tool and a super valuable tool not just in terms of feminism but in terms of every area of value for me personally i knew for a very long time that i did not want to be perceived as a feminist and that lasted from seventh grade to really the end of my senior year until I came to college. And I came to college and then truly learned what a feminist was and realized, hey, it's really not half bad. What started that thought process of not wanting to be perceived of a feminist, you know, that started for me, like I said, in the seventh grade. Middle school is a very interesting time for a lot of people and something that a lot of people experience in middle school is peer pressure. And I know I experienced a lot of that. And one of the ways that I experienced peer pressure was, you know, I was hanging out with this group of girls that I wanted to be a part of, like middle school girls do. And I don't remember how the topic of feminism came up, but I remember this one girl saying, oh, I am not a feminist. I didn't even know what a feminist was at the time. All I knew is that I was not going to be one. If these girls weren't feminists, I wasn't going to be one either. And that mindset stuck with me for a very long time. This small, small comment made by someone who I haven't spoken to in years stuck with me until I got to college. 
Even when I got to college, I was still so scared of making noise in my classes and even socially. In my classes specifically, I felt so uncomfortable voicing any opposing opinion I had to someone else in the class. I hated voicing my opinions, period. I felt like I needed to just sit there, be quiet, and listen and learn. But I quickly realized that you can't learn while being quiet and sitting there. You need to make noise. And something that Miki Kendall talks about in her book, Hood Feminism, that's similar to this, is she's talking about how she was raised and how her grandmother raised her to be. Her grandmother raised her to be very ladylike, dainty, quiet, and not making noise. And it wasn't until Kendall started to develop her own opinions on life and on feminism in particular, where she had to teach herself to be bad. And being bad in this case meant making noise, talking about your opinions, voicing how you feel, you know, sharing your opposing opinions, having a conversation, having an argument. And those are things that I felt so uncomfortable doing that she also felt uncomfortable doing and then learned that that is life. And I I also learned that too. But that's something I learned, you know, going through my first semester of college. But, you know, going backwards, it took me a very long time to get there. In my own life, I feel like there's a very clear timeline of how I became a feminist and the different obstacles I went through deciding, am I, am I not, am I, am I not? The first um, experience is what I talked about earlier. You know, in seventh grade, none of these girls wanted to be feminists. I didn't want to be one either. And the next instance was the next year, actually, in eighth grade, when I met this group of people and they were so welcoming and understanding and kind and listened to what I had to say. Nothing like these mean girls had been to me for the past two years. The only thing about this group of people is that they all came from very religious and conservative homes. I did not. I was raised in a not religious home. I was raised with a very open-minded parents. So Whenever any conversation came up regarding feminism, women's rights, you know, even racism, sexism, there was no conversation around it. You just didn't talk about it. It just didn't come up and it was something you just didn't talk about. And and that is how I lived until, you know, throughout high school. This was my friend group throughout high school. Next instance I can remember is my freshman year my no, my sophomore year actually, when uh, Donald Trump won the presidency in 2016. And this was the first vivid feminist thought I had. I woke up the morning that I was going to school, woke up that morning, my mom came in and said, Trump won, Trump is the president. And I remember running into my twin sister's room screaming, saying, oh my God, he won. How did he win? We're gonna lose all of our rights women aren't going to have any rights anymore, you know, screaming all of this stuff. I was not a very political person, sophomore year of high school. I had absolutely no insight in terms of politics, but I knew Trump bad (laughs) in terms of feminism. And I was so vocal about this to my sister, so vocal about this to my parents. And then I got to school and was again vocal about it. And my friend group didn't talk about it. They were like, it's not that bad. I think people should support him. People should be hopeful. 
And I remember thinking, how on earth can they be so nonchalant about this? I mean, why aren't they terrified? And I remember going back to school that day and having the first real conversation with my parents about politics and about feminism, you know, women's rights, racism, sexism. And they had never been very vocal to me, at least, about their political views prior to this. But once I asked them and we started having a conversation, I started to feel more comfortable in where I stood as a feminist. Before I move on to the next pinpoint in my timeline, I just wanted to reiterate the fact that at this point in my life, I had absolutely no political knowledge outside of what my parents were playing on the TV. I knew that I didn't really like Trump at all, and I knew that women should have rights. But even then, my opinions could have been easily swayed because I had no knowledge. I had no resources to confirm or support any opinions I had. So if I got into an argument with someone, I mean, they could be spewing false claims at me and I would have no idea and I would agree with them. And I just didn't stand up for myself. So the next pinpoint that I have is my junior year of high school, about October, November, my junior year. So about a year after um, Trump had become president. I was in French class, and my French teacher had said that we're going on this trip to Montreal and that we needed a roommate. So I had this one friend in the class who had been in all of my French classes up until this point and even after, and her and I had decided to be roommates. Um, I knew that she was... I mean, obviously not 18, couldn't be a registered Republican, but was planning on registering as a Republican and was a Trump supporter. So obviously she had a lot more political knowledge than I was. She was a lot more politically involved um, and was watching the news. Whatever news station that was, she was she was watching it. <laughs> so we get to Montreal, go to our, our hotel room, start settling in, and then we end up going to sleep. And a few of hour before bedtime conversations ended up being about politics. And it wasn't like we were having a conversation, my opinion versus hers. It was her talking about her opinions and me agreeing with her, even though I did not agree with the things that she was saying. I knew deep down I did not agree with the things she was saying. Some of the things she had talked about in terms of gun control, um, how she didn't think that there needed to be gun control. And then we started talking about feminism. And she said, women are already equal, so I don't know what feminists are talking about. To which I responded, you're right. I agreed with her. And as the words, you're right, came out of my mouth, I felt in my chest that I didn't really agree with what she was saying. But again, I didn't do any research. I had no resources. And I felt like if I couldn't support the things that I felt without solid facts, there's no point in arguing about it. So the end of that trip, I remember going home and talking to my parents and saying, do you think I'm a Republican? Do you think I'm a, I'm a, I'm a Trump supporter? Because some of the way that she was talking about some of these things, I could see myself agreeing with. But then when you take a step back and really analyze some of the stuff she was saying, I knew that it, it wasn't for me. Well, my French skills 
after this trip did not improve at all. I left this trip feeling obligated and inspired to do more research and commit myself to learning about things I felt passionate about and learning about things I knew I would need in order to support my arguments. This came in handy another year later when Brett Kavanaugh was nominated to the Supreme Court. And when Dr. Ford had accused him of raping her in college. I remember hearing this story for the first time and thinking, ugh, he is disgusting. How could someone not be on her side, not be on the victim's side? I couldn't wrap my head around the fact that there were people who really did not think this had happened. And I remember going to school that day, sitting in my English class, and my teacher was talking about it, you know, and he was agreeing with opinions I had. He was saying, you know, no victim of rape or sexual assault would bring up such a traumatic event just for attention. You know, that just doesn't make sense. And I remember agreeing with him and thinking, yes, I mean, he gets it. I mean, who wouldn't get it? The next period, I had a free period um, with a handful of my friends, and we would all hang out in the library. And we get to the library, we're talking, and obviously this comes up. And all of my friends, who have been my friends since eighth grade, the same, you know, conservative, religious, householded friends, said, you know, I don't know why she's doing this for attention. She's obviously making it up. It doesn't make sense why she would do this. Obviously, she thinks that she needs the fame. And I remember putting my hand up and saying, whoa, 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 whoa. Are you seriously trying to argue that this successful woman who has a PhD in psychology is doing this for attention? She's putting one of the most traumatic events of her life for the entire world to see because she wants to? It's because she's trying to show that this man is not worthy of being on the Supreme Court. And I could not understand the fact that my friends were agreeing with these people who I had considered crazy. And I I remember t- talking to them about this and sharing all my opinions, sharing my points, sharing my reasonings. And I shared my opinion and they listened to it and it resonated with them. And after the conversation, they were like, I didn't even think of it that way. That's what my mom said this morning. That's what my dad said this morning. I didn't even think about it like that. And the fact that I had an opinion about something and then shared that opinion and then it resonated with someone was mind-blowing to me. Obviously, when you share your opinion with someone, it's not a guarantee that you're going to change their mind and that they're now going to agree with you all of a sudden because that doesn't happen. And they didn't change their minds fully. I mean, I'm sure they went home and were saying the same things they were saying before I had spoken to them. But I felt so much more confident in myself knowing that I had brought facts to the table and I had brought resources and evidence to support my claims and that they couldn't argue against that because I had facts. And then I started really diving into feminism as a whole and understanding the importance of it. 
Fast forward to the summer before my freshman year of college, I was sitting on the couch with my mom, scrolling through my computer, looking at classes to take for my first semester. And I came across a intro to women's studies class. I turned to my mom and I asked her, what's women's studies? She doesn't really know. (laughs) Neither of us did. And she said, well, I think it's about feminism and women's rights and stuff. And I was like, you know, that sounds interesting. I I should take as many classes about as many things as I can to try and figure out what I want to do. So I added it to my cart. Fast forward to my first semester of college and I'm in intro to women's studies. And I remember leaving that class the first day with the biggest smile on my face because I knew I was going to do something with women's studies in the future. And this class to me, it wasn't just the material that was so interesting, but it was the conversation that it was facilitating. And it was the fact that in this class, I wasn't scared to share my opinions. And I wasn't scared of what people were going to think. And I was open to having a conversation. And that's what I loved so much about it. And that's what I love so much about women's studies. And there were a few books that we read, a few projects that we did that stood out to me that made me really fall in love with feminism and women's studies as a whole. And in particular, we did a project in the archives where we had to go through and look at, you know, handbooks from, you know, William Smith handbooks versus Hobart handbooks. We looked at yearbooks. We looked at everything. And I remember looking at the William Smith handbooks from 1937 to 1940 and the same equivalent of the Hobart handbooks and thinking to myself, oh my God, the differences are insane. William Smith students had a, you know, a curfew. Hobart students did not. William Smith students had to have a chaperone if they were going to hang out with a Hobart student alone. Hobart students didn't need to have a chaperone. And it was little things like that that I found so interesting. And it was the little feminist things, the little sexist things that kept building up through that I learned about throughout this course that made feminism and women's studies so cool to me. And I remember specifically reading Virginia Woolf's A Room of One's Own. This book, I still say, is my favorite book I've read in my college career (laughs) thus far. There's one line that says, But there is no gate, no lock, no bolt that you can set upon the freedom of my mind. There was something about this quote that resonated with me so much that I began to think of it almost daily. I mean, there is no gate, no lock, no bolt that you can set upon the freedom of my mind. And I think that this quote resonated with me so much is because the only person that had been putting locks, setting up gates or putting bolts on my mind was myself. And it was my own insecurities that were prohibiting me from talking about what I wanted to talk about and exploring what I wanted to explore. And I think the fact that I found this quote in a time when I really needed it said a lot to me at least about women's studies as a whole. There was so much exploring that could be done in women's studies, so much learning that I knew it was something that I wanted to do in the future. 
after taking this class, I knew that I was either going to major or minor in women's studies. I just wanted to learn as much about women's studies and feminism and women's rights, as much about all of that as I possibly could. And I was so excited to go back home for Thanksgiving and then later Christmas and know what I wanted to do. Being a senior in high school, whenever you see your extended family, you always get the same questions. Where are you looking at schools? Do you know what you want to major in? Have you gotten in anywhere? You know, the classic college questions. And then when you go home for holidays, you get the same kind of questions, except do you know what you're majoring in yet? What are your classes like? How are you adjusting? You know, all of the very general questions. And I was so excited to be able to go into these holiday dinners with ammo with answers to these questions. Growing up, I was never a part of the adult conversations. My sisters and I were the oldest of our cousins, so we were always hanging out with the younger cousins upstairs in our rooms, you know, entertaining them. So now, being a college student, I was excited to kind of be pulled into the adult conversation because, like, I'm, I'm 18 now, you know? I'm expected to be a part of these adult conversations. So Thanksgiving and Christmas come along and I'm a part of these adult conversations. And I remember sitting there thinking, have they been talking about really interesting stuff this entire time? Have they been having cool conversations? And I just had no idea because when I brought up my women's studies class, my my whole family was like, wow, that's so cool. Then we start getting onto the topic of, you know, politics, feminism, obviously, social justice, human rights, all of this other stuff. And I was just sitting there with my mouth wide open. I had no idea that my extended family was so cool. I mean, I always knew they were cool, but these conversations were so enlightening. And I remember sitting in my room about to go to sleep after all of the festivities had wrapped up. And I was thinking to myself, have they been having these conversations the whole time? Have they actually been having the conversations the whole time? And when I was deciding what I wanted to do for this podcast, this is something that I thought back to. And I really wanted to analyze if there was a moment in my family, in some of my family members' lives, where they had um, a switch, where they said to themselves, I am a feminist. I want to pursue feminism, that kind of thing. Like I had, you know, when I first got to college, I didn't really know what a real feminist was. I didn't really know what feminism was. And then when I went to go home, I had all this cool knowledge that I wanted to share. So I wanted to know if any of my family members had experienced that as well. This question is what I'm going to be analyzing in the next episode of this podcast. I got to interview my Aunt Joyce, my Aunt Jill, and my Uncle Hugh. And I got to ask them questions regarding their own um, opinions on feminism, how they became feminists, the differences in their upbringings and how that influenced how they learned about feminism, how much they learned about feminism, and how it affected their lives growing up and raising children. Being able to interview both of these parties was super enlightening and super eye-opening, and I'm really excited for you guys to hear what they had to say. So keep listening to the next episode, and you'll be able to hear a little bit of their interviews.